Good morning, everybody. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. As Daniel said, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're so glad that you're joining us in person. For those that are joining us out in the lobby or the Faith Center or watching from home, thank you guys so much for being here. Well, I have the privilege of coming before you and sharing with you guys Ephesians chapter 2 and wrapping up this chapter with all of you. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you guys, if you guys have your Bibles, because we'll be spending most of our time in Ephesians 2, would you guys turn there? Or if you're taking notes via our app, you guys could take this moment to open up your app. And again, if you don't have either one of those, don't worry about it. We'll have all the verses and all the fill-ins for you up on the screen. But while you guys are doing that, I wanted to take a quick moment. And I just wanted to ask you guys a question. Have you guys ever seen something and you just thought to yourself, man, that's not good. You've seen something, you witnessed something, and you just thought to yourself, that's not good. Well, recently I did. I saw something and it was not good. And it really highlighted the importance of what we're going to learn as we journey through the last part of Ephesians chapter 2. But before I tell you what I saw and how it connects to Ephesians chapter 2, let me open up our time in a word of prayer. Let's pray together. God, we come before you, and I am so thankful for everyone here. And God, I pray that we would now ready our hearts and our ears to hear your word. God, I pray that what would be impressed upon us isn't any stories, isn't anyone's personality, but God, your word, and that you would convict us, you would challenge us, and you would change us, that we would not be the same after we hear your word because, God, it has melted our hearts and made us more like Christ. So thank you for this time. Be our teacher now, Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, have you ever gotten one of these? It's a jury duty summons. Oh, wow, I get some reactions here. All right. Well, usually when I get one of these, I have a reaction too. But I can tell by some of your guys' reactions, it's not so positive. What do you guys do when you guys get one of these? Some cry. <laughs> I heard last night some people said, throw it away. Well, here's the thing. When I get one of these, I don't cry. I don't throw it away. I actually get excited. Because there's a part of me that have, has always wanted to be on jury duty. I don't know what it is, right? Something about the whole process of going to a courtroom, watching and hearing these attorneys battle back and forth and trying to determine what is the truth. Something about that was exciting to me and thrilling to me. And as, and as I can probably bet, many of you guys who have done jury duty are probably thinking, this guy hasn't done jury duty yet. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, though, I got a jury duty summons recently, and it was for the week of July 3rd. But this time, rather than being excited, I was actually a little sad because I did not want to get on jury duty that week because I had so many things going on. I had a wedding, actually not only one, two weddings to prep for and two weddings to be at, and rehearsals to be at. And on top of that, I had meetings that I couldn't move. And even beyond that, I had other responsibilities that didn't care whether I had jury duty or not. And as some of you guys might know, my wife, Darren, um, she has two little ones growing inside of her. And these twins are supposed to show up at the end of summer. But they told us that with twins, they often come a little early. And so with all these thoughts and with all these things going on, 
I just didn't want to go. I just didn't want to be there. But I didn't throw away my summons. I actually went and reported to jury duty. And guess what? I got chosen. <laughs> I was a little upset. And I, I might have complained a little bit to others and to God. But here's the thing. As I was complaining to God and spending time with God, wondering why in the world he would have me here at jury duty at such a time, I also surrendered my agenda, I surrendered my plans, I surrendered what I wanted to do, and I said, God, if you want me here, and it sure, sure seems like you want me here, then I'll be here. And I'll, I'll help me to be available, help me to listen, and help me be open to whatever it is that you want me to hear or do. And so then the trial began, and then we were shown our first piece of evidence. And remember when I asked you guys earlier, have you guys ever saw something and you just thought, that's not good. Well, I saw something. I saw the surveillance video of two neighbors. That's what the trial was all about, two neighbors and this altercation that took place. See, in the surveillance video, what happened was this man was returning home from a trip with his two boys, a boating trip. And so he had his big bus and this trailer attached to it. And then he had to park in order to unload. But rather than parking just in front of his house, he had to park in front of his house and a neighbor's house and their driveway as well because he lived right on the corner and he couldn't be sticking out his big boat out into the middle of the street. So there he was parked in front of his house and the neighbor's house. Well, at some point, the neighbors saw that they were blocked and they couldn't get out. And so they came out. And not only did they came out, the husband and the wife came out together and one of them, was have, one of them had a phone. The wife had a phone. And then all of a sudden, we heard the audio from the phone, and what happened was they just started arguing back and forth about moving the car. And there were words that were thrown out that I cannot repeat here at church. And one thing led to another, and then the neighbor went and he slapped the phone out of the wife's hand. He hit it so hard that the phone went flying into the boat. And then, of course, the husband reacted right away and grabbed the man and pushed him down on the ground. And he held him there, yelled to his wife, call 911, call 911. And as they were on the ground struggling, the man's son came out, a 14-year-old boy. He saw his dad on the ground being pinned there. And so he got involved. And he tried to get the neighbor off of him, tried to get the husband off of him. And then all of a sudden, as they were getting up, it just escalated into a full-on brawl. And while all this is going on, the wife is trying to grab her phone, trying to call 911, and she sees now her husband is being jumped two on one. And so she gets involved. She's trying to separate them. She's trying to push them aside. She's starting to hit and kick and do whatever it takes to get everyone apart. And then all of a sudden, the man and the 14-year-old boy, the husband and the 14-year-old boy are isolated off to the side. And the original man that drove up and the wife are now face to face and now they're throwing punches at each other. And as a woman is trying to like move and get away, she falls over the trailer hitch onto the ground and the man starts pummeling her. And then even after all of that, she still finds a way to get up and try to get away and the man grabs her by the hair and just starts punching her and uppercutting her in the face. Guys, this was bad. It was not good. But here, there was a thought that kept going through my mind as I was watching this, and it was, were they Christians? Were these believers? Were these people that could have been coming to our church? 
See, I don't know whether they were Christians or not, but if they weren't Christians, that would make sense, right? Because they were led by their own desires, by their own flesh. They let their rage and their emotions be their God and their guide in that moment, and they just let it all out. But my other thought that just I couldn't let go of was, what if they were Christians? That wouldn't make sense, right? That, that shouldn't make sense. Especially because of what we learned and read in the previous parts of Ephesians chapter 2. If you guys don't remember, we, we could pick it up here in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Pastor Greg shared, with, shared this with us last week. And it says this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, it shouldn't make sense if they were Christian because what they were doing wasn't a reflection of being God's masterpiece and reflecting and showing off God's goodness, his glory, and his greatness. And they definitely weren't doing good works. And it sure didn't seem like they were walking in the way of the Lord. But here's a sad thing. They could have been Christians. Because sometimes Christians behave like this. I know because I have. Even as a believer, I have faltered. As a pastor, I have failed. And I've let my temper, let my emotions get the better of me and be my God and my guide as well. You guys have maybe heard if you've been coming to this church for a while. I shared late last year in a message about how I had issues with my neighbors because they like to park their car right in front of my house. And instead of maybe going over and talking to them in a respectful manner, I may or may not have turned on the sprinklers when their cars were parked there. See, I, I let sometimes my emotions get the better of me. And, and as I was thinking about how, man, how can we sometimes just do some of the most ridiculous things? I thought about a ridiculous moment that I had when I was a believer a long, long time ago as well. See, I was in a car with, at that time, my girlfriend, who was my ex-girlfriend. And just FYI, this isn't Darren. This wasn't my wife. Okay, this was many years ago. But I was still a Christian. I was here on staff. And yet here in this car, me and my ex-girlfriend were having an argument. And our voices were getting louder and louder and louder. And our tone was getting worse and worse by the moment. And guys, I, at that time, I really did not know how to deal with my anger very well. And so I was getting frustrated. I, it just felt like I was going to explode. And so do you know what I did? I pulled a Hulk Hogan. Do you guys know Hulk Hogan, a wrestler back in the 80s and 90s? He used to come out to the ring and what would he do? He'd rip his shirt open, twirl it around and fling it to the crowd. Well, I did that because I was getting so mad. I looked at her in the face and I said, you are making me so mad. Like just because I needed to show her and share with her just how angry I was. And I share that embarrassment because I can't believe I did that. But here's the thing, I, I'm not perfect. And I've realized that none of us are perfect and we will never be on this side of heaven. But we are still God's workmanship. But here's the thing, we're just a work in progress. Thankfully though, I've gotten a little bit better, grown over time. But how do we do it? How do we keep from faltering 
And, and how do we stay the course and continue to walk with God? I think Paul gives us a way as we pick up in the text in Ephesians 2, verse 11. Would you read this with me? I just want us to read the first two words. Therefore, remember. Therefore, remember. You know, growing up in youth group at church, I would always hear this phrase, when you see therefore, it's therefore a reason. And here, the reason is because it connects what we're called to do, which is remember, to what was said just above. And what was said just above? Above, it, was said, it said that we were once dead, but now we're alive because of grace. And because of grace, we are God's workmanship. Because of grace, we are to do good work. Therefore, our call is to do what? Remember. And man, this reminds me that God knows us so, so well. He knew we could have lapses in judgment. He knew we can forget some of the most important things like anniversaries or birthdays or important dates or like valuable things like keys or wallets, which I do all the time, or even history-altering events like Christ's death for all of us. And that's why even Jesus said, even before going to the cross, do this in remembrance of me when he called us to take communion because he knew we would forget. And this is why I believe sometimes Christians can behave so poorly and fail to live out their purposes of being his masterpiece and doing good works and walking in his ways. It's because we forget. We lose focus. And we lose sight of what's most important and focus on things that we shouldn't be focused on. So let's take a look and read again Ephesians 2, 11 through 12. And take a look at what Paul calls us to remember. Picking up again at verse 11, it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so if you're taking notes or you're filling out your app, would you put this down as your first point? We're called to remember who and where we were before Christ. Remember who and where we were before Christ. And what was that? We were separated from God and we were separated from others. See here, Paul calls the audience who were mainly Gentile to remember their past identity and position with God and others. And yet some of you guys might be sitting here thinking, wait, what is a Gentile? Well, in the original language, in the Greek word Gentile means nations. And see, the term Gentile, it didn't really describe who a person was, but rather who they were not. They were not Jewish. So a Gentile is one belonging to any nation or people group other than the Jewish people group or nation. And so here the title Gentile was a social outcasting by Jewish people to basically let everyone know that they weren't a Jew and they weren't like them. See, and Jews and Gentiles, they did not get along. They had a long history of hatred and hostility. They didn't want anything to do with each other, especially Jews dealing with Gentiles. See, long ago, did you guys know that it was unlawful for a Jew to help a Gentile woman giving birth, even in their great hour of need, because they would then be found guilty of bringing another Gentile into the world. Or if a Jewish woman married a Gentile man, 
Did you know that oftentimes the family would hold her funeral that same day? Because to them, she was dead to them for doing that, for marrying a Gentile man. And did you know that the Jews, they even had a prayer that they would recite every morning known as the blessings of morning. There was like three different prayers that they would constantly recite and constantly pray. And one of them was this. One of them was this. They would pray, blessed are you, Lord, our God, king of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile. Basically saying, thank you, God, for not making me like them. See, as you guys can see, Jews did not like Gentiles. <laughs> the same was true. Gentiles did not like Jews because of the way they were treated and looked down on. And yet Paul says, remember, you were one of them. And he even used another phrase in tradition to drive that point home when he said, you were also called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. See, circumcision was an outward physical sign of a covenant God made with his people. And the Jews, they took pride in being circumcised. And they even used the phrase uncircumcised as a derogatory remark and an identifier toward Gentiles. If you guys don't remember David and Goliath, the story of a man, a boy versus a giant. This boy David, he came out and he was hearing about this Philistine, this giant of a man challenging the armies of God. And he came out and he said this. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And let me tell you what, it wasn't a compliment. He again was speaking to Goliath's status of being someone on the outside of the Jewish nation. And basically, he was saying about Goliath, who is this person who is vile and unsacred? So here in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 11 specifically, Paul begins by telling the readers who are predominantly non-Jewish, who are Gentiles, which is applicable to us today. Because most of us, we're not, we don't have a Jewish background, so we would be considered Gentiles. He's speaking to a lot of us, and even for some of us that are of Jewish descent, as I know many of you guys here at this church are, he's still speaking to you as well. But he wanted to remind those especially that were Gentiles to remember that they were different, that they were separated, and they were excluded socially from being God's people before Christ. And then he goes on to tell them, and for us to also remember that we were also once separated spiritually without Christ. Because take a look at verse 12. It tells us that without Christ, we were separated from Christ, the Messiah, and any access or knowledge of him. We were alienated. We were isolated. And we were excluded from God's blessing and from his presence. That we were strangers from God's promises and his provisions. And that without Christ, we had no hope. We had no point. We had nothing to look forward to. Because without Christ, we had no God. We were without God. And I think this is so important that we remember this because we need to remember that we were separated from God and others because it reminds us of how far we've come if we are in Christ now. It reminds us how wretched and horrible we were without God and how truly far away we were from him. How far away we were from him in our hearts, in our thoughts, in our minds, in our actions. But I think when we remember this too, it also reminds us of the depth of God's love for us, his patience for us, his forgiveness for us, and how if he has forgiven us, then we should forgive others as well. See, for me, remembering how far I was without Christ makes me feel so thankful and so grateful for his love and for his grace. And I hope it would do for you as well. But I hope it will be more than just feelings because what else it does, it also compels me. 
It compels me to act and to show the same kind of grace and mercy and love that I have been shown as well. And I hope the same would be true as we remember. See, if you and I don't remember, we can sometimes be like some of the youth leaders that I used to serve with. As some of you guys know, I was a youth pastor here at South Bay Community Church for about 17 years. And during that span, I got a privilege of serving so many youth go through middle school and high school. And one of the coolest benefits of being there so long was that some of the kids, when they became college students or young adults, they would come back and they would start serving as leaders in our youth ministry as well. And you know, those leaders that would come back after being through the youth ministry, there was two kinds of them, all right? The first kind, they'd come back, they'd start serving with me, they'd hang out with the kids, and they would come up to me and they would say, Pastor James, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. After dealing with the kids, after seeing how rude they are, how disrespectful they are, man, we were just like that, huh? I'm so, so, so sorry. But thank you for being kind and patient and still loving us. But then I have the other kind of leaders that come up to me and they go, Pastor James, What's wrong with these kids? They're so disrespectful. They're so rude. Man, I, I can't believe they're like that. I was never like that, right? I tell them, you're right. You weren't like that. You were worse. <laughs> no, I tell them, you were like that. Don't you remember? And it takes them a moment or two, and sometimes I have to give them reminders of the things that they used to say or do, and then they go, oh, man, I need to be a little more compassionate. I need to be a little more understanding. I need to be a little more patient. I think the same is true for us. I think this is why I believe Paul was trying to address both Jew and Gentile as well. Because in today's time, it could be like veteran Christians and new believing Christians. We need to remember how far we've come and be thankful that God had been so good and gracious to us. We will remind us how wretched and horrible we were without God and how truly far away we were from him. But it also reminds us that we, we've been saved. And that can grow our compassion and our understanding and our patience for others who are still far away as well. So that's why we need to apply Paul's call to remember. Remember who and where we were before Christ. Separated from God, from others. But now let's look at how with Christ, our relationship and position with God and others can change. Let's pick it up in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2, and it says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Guys, would you see how this passage first started? It started off with, but now. In Christ, one of my favorite butts in the Bible. Because we were separate from others and God. We were separate from his promises, from his presence. We were without hope. 
we were without God. But now, but now in Christ, we who were far have been brought near. He broke down the wall of hostility between God and us and others. He brought peace. And peace that's not just, oh, I feel okay during this very stressful moment. No, a peace that makes us whole, complete, right with God and others. And he has given us access to our Father in heaven. This truth brings to life what Jesus said about himself in John 14, 6. Take a look. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to be saved. Jesus is the only way to be made right with God and to be with God. It was through his flesh. It was through his blood, through his life and through his death. We need to remember that because it reminds us that the love of God and our salvation, it never ever rested on our works or on our worthiness, but only on Christ's work and his worthiness. And because of that, we can't boast, we can't take credit, we can't make it about ourselves. We have to rely on him and him alone. But what we also learn here is that Christ doesn't just change our relationship with God. He can also change our relationship with others too. Jesus is also the only way we could ever be made right with others when there is no peace. This was again highlighted to me during my jury duty time. See, these two neighbors, this hostility rose to this climax of this all-out brawl. But there had been animosity and anger that existed for years before. And they tried a bunch of different things. They had walls and fences, and that didn't help. They put up signs, and that didn't help. They even tried ignoring each other and not dealing with each other, and that didn't help. They even got a camera, and that didn't help. They even went to others like police officials and city officials, and that didn't help. Confrontation didn't help. Fighting didn't help. Even the law didn't help. Guys, there was a conviction. There was a judgment handed down. And justice, I believe, was served. But there was still fear. There was still anxiety. There was still hostility. There was still anger. And here's the thing. Everything in my human logic makes me believe that there is no way these neighbors could ever be friendly again. They could ever experience peace. But if I remember that Christ can change our relationship with the perfect, ultimate, great God of this universe, then he can do that for any one of us as well, no matter how bad it is, even for these two neighbors. Even any other relational division that exists where there's walls of hostility, exclusion, and separation, God can bring peace and inclusion. So maybe for some of you guys, you guys are experiencing it now in a marriage. Maybe it seems to be falling apart and you just think, man, I don't know how we could ever reconcile this. Maybe for some of you, it's with a friend and you've experienced betrayal or hurt and you just don't think you guys could ever be friends again. Or, or maybe it's with a business partner and there's been a falling out 
There's been some things that have happened that have caused a lot of distrust. Or maybe it's other dividing lines like age or status. Or maybe other titles we use like jock or nerd. Or maybe it's our race and the color of our skin. Or maybe it's our political affiliation. Or maybe it's the amount of money we make or don't make. Or like back in this time, it was like Jew and Gentile. Here's the thing. Christ can bring peace. Only Christ can bring that type of peace, which brings about inclusion to relationships with, with others where there's hate, hostility, and division. See, because Jesus is the bridge to bring us close to God and others. And I think the perfect reminder of this is Christ's cross. I mean, think about Christ's cross. In it, we know that the cross makes up what? A vertical beam. And in that vertical beam, we can remember that Jesus Christ is the bridge between us and God. Where there was a gap where we could not connect with God, Jesus is in the way. And Jesus serves as our reconciliation. But in that horizontal beam, this can help us remember that God, that Christ bridges the gap between us and others. From humanity to humanity. See, the cross reminds us that Jesus, in Jesus we are no longer we are no longer in need to be far from God and others because we're in Christ. And that's why Paul calls us to remember that we were once separated from God and from others, but in Christ, our identity and our position in God and with others changes. And so let's take a look at the final few verses of Ephesians chapter 2 and take a look at what it changes to. We'll start in, in verse 19. In verse 19 it says, So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, this is the last truth that Paul tells us to remember here in Ephesians chapter 2. So again, if you're writing notes, you can write this down. Remember who we are now in Christ. Remember who we are now in Christ. And who are we now in Christ? We are family. And we are God's home. We are family and we are God's home if we are in Christ. And could you, guys, could you imagine how revolutionary this must have been for the new Jewish Christians and the Gentile converts at this time that Paul was writing this? See, they had lived their whole lives in opposition of each other, right? And all they knew was hatred and disdain for one another. And yet now in Christ, they were one. It kind of reminds me of this movie, Remember the Titans. Have you guys seen this movie before? It's one of my favorite movies. And this movie, if you don't know it, it's about a football team that becomes integrated with both black and white football players. And this was during a time when there was segregation and they were kind of demolishing and getting rid of those lines and yet this was a new thing. Never before had black players and white players come together and be on the same team. And because of that, there was a lot of division. There was a lot of strife because of all of their differences. However, as the movie progresses, as relationships are built, there's a point in the movie where there's 
They're not claiming and they're not, they're not dividing themselves by white players and black players. No, they're coming together and instead saying, we are one team. We are no longer white and black. We are the Titans. And like the Titans here, Paul is reminding us that we are no longer having dividing lines to separate us and to exclude us. In Christ, no more Jews and just Gentiles. No, God is making one race under grace, the family of God, because we're on one team. And so this is true of all of us. I mean, think about it for just a second. If I'm a child of God, and if you're a child of God, 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 we all have the same father. So what does that make all of us? We're siblings. We're family. Now, speaking of family, as I shared earlier, my wife is pregnant with twins. And if you guys don't know a little bit of our story, we went to great lengths to add these two little ones to our family. That's because we were diagnosed with a diagnosis of infertility. We had tried for a long time to have a family. After month, after month, after years of trying, we saw no results. We couldn't do it on our own, and so we went out and got help. And once we found out that we had this diagnosis of infertility, we had to find different ways to maybe make this happen. And we, it was a long journey. It was a costly journey. It was a, it was a difficult journey. It was a painful journey. It was a lonely journey. But here we are now, twins on the way. And, and so sometimes Darren and I, we just sit here and we just talk to each other and we look back and we try to remember all that we had gone through to even get to this point. And we, we kind of joke and we say, man, when these kids come, they better appreciate all that we did just to have them be part of our family. But consider the lengths God has gone to make us all family. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to save us from our sin, to make us right with him, but also others as well. To rid ourselves of previous issues like race, class, age, status, things that promoted exclusion and instead he desired that we in Christ, that's the key, in Christ, would have inclusion and love and treat each other like family. I think it's so important for us to remember this because we can let so much get in the way of our care and our love for one another. But look at how serious this was to Jesus. In what was some of his final words to his disciples. Think about that. He was about to go to the cross. He had a few moments left with his disciples and this is what he wanted to share with them. His parting thoughts found in John 13, 34 through 35. He tells his disciples, and count with me how many times you read this phrase, love one another, okay? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus said this three times in the span of just these few verses. I think it's important to him that what? We love one another. 
But take a note of what he says. How will others, how will all people know that we belong to him and that we are his by our church membership, by our church attendance, by how much we give, by how much we serve, by how much we read the Bible and how much we pray? No, he said, by the way we love each other. This is how people will know we're different and that we belong to Christ. And could you imagine? Because this is what was happening back then in the early church. Jews, Gentiles, Romans, Greeks, men, women, children, people who were always separated before were now coming together and worshiping and loving God and each other. No wonder we're told in Acts the church boomed because people took notice and they were in awe because miracles were happening. Peace was happening where there was no peace. We need to remember this. We need to remember that we're family because if we don't, our church will look more like another place a ton of people go to on the weekend. This place, Costco. <laughs> I love Costco. Costco is great. But here's the thing about Costco. It requires a membership. And so all the people there, they're all the members of Costco. They all share a membership. Yet when they go in there, they just have one single focus to get what they want. And while they're there, sometimes there's free samples that are made available and people go and grab as many samples as they can get. Sometimes like how some of you guys do with our hospitality table out there, but that's another point. But they go out and they try to grab all of that. And then when they got what they need, what do they do? They just make a beeline and they look for what? The shortest way out, the fastest cashier. And during their time there, they're not trying to interact with each other. They're not trying to interact or get to know other members. They're not there to help other members. And here's the thing, that's okay for Costco. But that's not okay for church. Yet some of us act like we're at Costco when we're here at church. We shouldn't look like Costco here. I think instead, we should look like something else. And the thing that came to mind was this puzzle pieces. I think we should look like puzzle pieces. Why? Because take a look at puzzle pieces. They're all shaped a little bit differently. They're different colors. And yet, in all their differences, they belong to each other. And here's the cool thing. When they come together, they create a beautiful picture, a bigger picture that couldn't be created by themselves. Just like when we come together and put away our division, put away our hostility, because in Christ, we can show off the beauty and love of God, our Father. And here's the thing about puzzle pieces. I don't know how many of you guys love puzzle pieces. I'm not the greatest. And so I always start with one piece, the most important piece in my mind. Do you know what piece that is? Oh, see, some of you guys too. It's the corner piece, the corner piece, right? Why the corner piece? Because it's easily defined, right? You know where to start. And the corner piece starts bringing other pieces together to help you form the full picture. You know what? Paul says that about Jesus as well. When he says Jesus is our cornerstone. A cornerstone was the most important piece of a building. It was foundational. And think about a cornerstone. A cornerstone brings two walls together. Jesus came to break down walls that separated so that he could bring what? Walls together. Church, I want to challenge you in a practical way today. Let's not act like we're at Costco 
when we're here at church. Remember, we're family, and when we come here, we're supposed to be like puzzle pieces, coming together and loving each other and building a home where God would dwell. Because take a look, the last verse, Ephesians 2.22, it says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. But you guys notice it says, In him you also are being built together. Being built together is how we become home to God, a place where his spirit will dwell. Not individually, but together. And that's what church truly is. It's not a building. It's his people. And the cool thing is here, God has given us a building to meet and to call home. And it's so amazing because our church is growing. There are more and more people coming each and every week. Man, last week, Mandy told us, Mandy, the lead of our kids' crew ministry, our, our children's ministry, told us we had over 300 kids come out for the weekend. That's amazing. That's awesome. But imagine, what if somebody were to come in this weekend and peer into our service? Would they know that we belong to Christ by the way we love? Here's the truth. People are coming because we're growing. And they are looking. And I pray that they would see a church full of people that are full of love for one another, that are including each other, welcome each other, that even if they don't look alike, act alike, have the same kind of bank account or status, they are treating each other like family. That they don't look in and think, oh, this reminds me of Costco. Would you help us make sure we don't look like Costco? And one way we can do that is remembering and responding to something that Pastor Greg once said and once challenged us with. He said this, if you consider South Bay Community Church your home, act like a host, not a guest. Act like a host, not a guest. Because here's the difference between a host and a guest. A host welcomes, a host greets, a host offers his guests something. A host plans, a host cleans, a host preps, a host serves, a host helps. A host shows people around. A host doesn't say, hey, somebody else will take care of it. They say, leave it to me. I'll take care of that. While a guest, they just simply come and enjoy. They come and be invited. So all of us, would we all be greeters? Would we all be welcomers? Would we all be, a, be people who, if we saw someone by themselves, if we saw someone sitting at a table or a chair alone, would we not just ignore them? But would we invite them? Will we include them? I mean, think about it for just a second, guys. We, as people who are home here at South Bay Community Church, we might have friends, we might have family, we might see familiar people. And then there's somebody standing off to the side by themselves. Could you imagine how hard it must be for them to try to go and approach a group? Wouldn't it be so much easier if the group came over and said, hey, come and hang out with us. Let me introduce you to more people. You know, we really wanted to teach our youth this. Because sometimes the biggest issue we would hear is that there would be cliques. And so we took a bunch of our youth leaders long ago and said, hey, we want to start with you. We want to help you guys see and remember what it was like being a newcomer. And so we invited them to come and meet us at church for a small little project. What we did was we took them and we didn't tell them where we were going. And we dropped them off at a local church where they were having youth group. And we told them this. We said, when you guys go in. You guys can't go in together. Go in separately. Go in at different times. And when you guys go in there, don't sit next to each other. Don't talk to each other. Just go and enjoy the service and the youth group and tell us what you guys experience. Well, after they were done, we picked them up. We went to go eat and we debriefed and we talked about what had happened. 
And I said, what went on? How was it like? And one kid said, you know what, Pastor James, no one even said hi to me. And then another kid said, you know what, Pastor James, no one even acknowledged me. No one even kind of looked at me. If anything, they were kind of looking away from me. And then another kid said, Pastor James, we had this greeting moment during our service. And, and I was sitting down because I was just so nervous. I felt so awkward and so insecure that I just kind of sat there. And there was one kid on my left and one kid on my right. And I guess they knew each other. So they got up and they said, hey. And they high-fived each other over me. <laughs> and didn't say anything to me. See, they came away from that experience vowing to not forget what they had learned. It wasn't welcoming. It wasn't a place to belong. They didn't feel like they were part of a family or a home. And they vowed that they would not let that continue to happen at our youth group. And so from then on, they were different. Will we do the same as we remember? That we were once separated from God and others, but now in Christ, we're family in God's home. One way that you might be able to learn this lesson too is next time you're on vacation or next time you're out of town and you're not able to come physically to our church, I know we have this great streaming that's online and made available, but maybe you want to check out one of our other church families that are out there and visit them. And don't go to judge them or compare, but to remember what the experience is like to be a newcomer. And then take note of how you were welcome, included, and loved. And if you weren't, may that convict you to say, you know what? I'm not going to let anything like that happen in our home, in our church, with our family. Family. It's a funny word. Here, this is a picture of my life group. We are the Wednesday night young couple small group. And guys, we consider ourselves family. This was just recently. They threw a little baby surprise baby shower for me and my wife. But here's the thing. We've only been together for about a year. And some people have come and some people have gone over this past year but we have shared our lives together. We have celebrated engagements, marriages, promotions, new jobs, pregnancies, and birth of children, but we have also grieved with each other through losses of jobs, losses of parents, losses of pets, through losses of babies and miscarriages. And here's the thing, we call ourselves family now, but that wasn't always the case. See, when we first started, we were just a bunch of random people from all different walks of life, different preferences, different jobs, different cultures, different ages. The one thing that we might have had in common was our life stage, that we're young couples. But we really didn't know each other at all. And due to this, it was awkward at times. And there wasn't instant connections for a lot of us. But God... But God was who we kept our eyes on. And so we continued to meet week after week and came together on Wednesday nights to study the Bible. And guess what? We drew closer to God, but also one another. Kind of reminds me of this relationship triangle that I often share with my couples. In it, I usually have God at the top and each corner is you and your spouse. But here, we'll use it for just others in general. But isn't it cool? Because here we are, we could stay separated from each other. We could focus on our differences, or we could focus on God and continue to move to God. And as we both are moving to God, what happens? We get closer together. Church, let's do the same. Because remember, remember who and where we were before Christ, separated from, from God and from others, but remember now who we are in Christ. We're family. We're in God's home.
Let's close our time in a word of prayer. God, I come before you acknowledging that sometimes I forget where I've been, who I've been. God, if we were far away from you once before, we were without hope, we were without you. So God, grow in us compassion and empathy for those that are far. Give us patience to deal with them and love them like you have loved us. But God, let's also help us remember who we are now in Christ. We're not only saved, but we are made right with you and with others. And so God, if there's any division that is existing in our hearts, any hostility toward others, remind us that in Christ, we're family and you can help us overcome this and experience peace. God, help us to be the church, not Costco. We know we can do this in you, in Christ. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.